What's going on, guys? Andrew with Pride. Today, we have got a, uh, a listener Q&A. So the questions that we're going to be answering are, what is the worst advice that I've ever gotten in the gym? These ones specifically, I, I talk about my personal biomechanics and some bad advice that I got there. Two, this is a pretty long question, but it is, how does alcohol impact the gym? So I went into testosterone, uh, your metabolism, and muscle protein synthesis, so how much muscle you can gain. Uh, the third one is gyms versus health clubs, what I personally prefer, but some things that some redeeming factors about both of them. Cheat reps. Uh are they useful? Should you use them? And this final one is how often you should change your program. So if there are any of my clients listening to this, make sure you listen to that one because I know a lot of you guys get up in arms about how often I should change it. And you might be surprised at that answer. Anyway, that being said, guys, let's get into it. What's going on, guys? Andrew with Pride. Today, we're going to be answering some listener questions. So let's just get straight to it. This first one is, what is the worst advice you have ever uh, received in the gym? So there's quite a few, but me personally, I'm tall. I'm six foot three. I, I'm like in the upper percentage of like, you know, height as far as men go. And that being said, obviously a lot of people that I learned with, trained with, um, learned from, um, are all quite a bit shorter than me. So a lot of times what I was learning from these people was various things about mechanics that didn't necessarily apply to me. Um, you know, it's, it's not just a matter of like, I'm taller, my leverages are different, but it's also different things like, uh, there can be different things with people's hip sockets, different things with, um, you know, how much mobility people actually have in their pelvis or whatever it may be. But the hip socket thing is kind of the biggest one. As far as this goes, it was to deadlift with perfectly straight shins. And the other one was to have a perfect shoulder width toes, straight forward squat. Those things just do not work for me. They never have. I have tried to move my body and mobilize and stretch and all these different things to make those things happen. And they just never did. That is not how my body works. And there, there is something to be said for, uh, you know, you do need to mobilize more. You need to open your hips more. You need more ankle mobility, whatever it may be. There's, there's some truth to that for a lot of people, in fact, but only to, only to a point. Uh, think of it as simple as, um, for anybody who's, uh, just listening to this, if you put your hands on the tops of your thighs and then put your fingers at the front of your hips, obviously you have your femur, the bone of your thigh, and then you have, um, your hips, your pelvis. And if you're narrow in your squat stance and you squat down at some point in time, your femurs are going to hit your hips. That's going to impact how your body can move. Mine hit mine really, really quickly. So I have to stand quite a bit wider and I have to toe out a little bit. That does not impact the quality of my squat or the ability of my squat. That's just how my body works. There are going to be people who say, hey, your squat should look like blank. Your deadlift should look like blank. And there are best practices when it comes to movement. But there is also individual nuance of your body's just different. Your goals are different. It could be even something as simple as you're trying to feel a muscle activate a little bit differently. So you're playing with, you know, your stance or your foot positioning or whatever it may be. There is so much value to listening to people who have been doing things longer than you 
But if you just are full on hitting the wall of this hurts, this is uncomfortable, this feels like it is causing damage to my body, trying to force yourself into a certain groove that just doesn't work, don't do that. Don't listen to it. Don't hurt yourself trying to do what is, quote, correct. Because in my case, (laughs) both of my knees crack and snap like fucking crazy because I spent so long trying to force a movement, force a squat that does not work for me and forcing my lower back, forcing a deadlift that doesn't work for me, that these are now recurrent injuries that I have to work around. There are, uh, you know, there is a limit to, I don't want to say a limit to how much I can lift, but it's, there, there are certain limitations that I can feel that I can sense in my body where some shit just doesn't work now, or I'm more prone to an injury in my right knee. I'm more prone to an injury, um, just left of my lower back. And these are things that didn't exist until I learned from people who do not understand my body and my mechanics because that just started basically fucking my body up. So, uh, I suppose that's the long winded way of saying what I've already said is, Yes, it's good to get it's good to get advice, but if you've ever heard the phrase "too many cooks in the kitchen," sometimes there there are just too many coaches in the gym. If you're going to take advice from someone else in the gym, make sure that there's someone who understands you, but also make sure that you are listening to that piece of advice and not listening to someone who says, "Oh, you need to mobilize this, you need to stretch this," and then someone else who says, "And your squat should look like this," and then someone else who says, "Also, you need to reach this kind of depth and have this position in your spine." Make sure you're getting it from one source. That way, you can try that single thing out and. Go from there, see if it has any validity, and if it doesn't, move on. So, thank you for that question. Um, Oh, God, I didn't put any people's names down for these questions. Sorry about that, guys. Um, This next one is... This is going to be a long one. How does alcohol impact the gym? This is from our cameraman. So, uh, Glenn, I I took a few liberties with this question because I, I know you said specifically like beer versus booze. I didn't go down that direction because the only real thing that I was noticing was just calorie difference. Like it didn't seem, it didn't seem like, you know, if you were taking shots of vodka versus like chugging a beer that it was going to have a different impact on you outside of there are just more calories in a beer, right? Um, which is going to cause more fat gain. But, um, I basically went at this from three different directions, your testosterone, um, how much, uh, how much more likely you are to store body fat or gain weight and muscle protein synthesis, how it impacts the actual muscle that you're going to gain. So I actually have these up on my laptop. This might be the first time I've ever brought my laptop for a podcast. So I actually have some semi detailed show notes for this one, I think. Um, but they have actually seen alcohol lower testosterone as much as 45%. Now, one thing to clarify is that this is testicular, excuse me, testicular testosterone. So, um, NAD plus is a coenzyme that, uh, your body needs, uh, to make testosterone. And that is decreased specifically in the testes and the liver. So the significance of that is that we don't necessarily see that 45% decrease in women. There was some hormonal implica- implications there, but basically because, you know, women do not have testicles, they were not impacted or their testosterone was not impacted to quite the same degree, but you also have to keep in mind they have much lower testosterone. So even the impact that they would see theoretically isn't going to be as significant or potentially could honestly be the, the inverse depending, um, depending how you're looking at that. But yeah, so you do see a pretty 
steep decrease in your testosterone levels. Uh, this next one that I went on is just how your body actually gains weight or gains body fat from this. So your body metabolizes alcohol like a poison on some levels. It pretty much is a poison. You know, that's why your body wants to like go for it right away is, Oh, this is negatively impacting our body. Let's get rid of this. So it actually has to break down, um, alcohol first because it's, it's got to get rid of that. So that means there's less time spent, excuse me, there's less time spent, uh, breaking down fat and carbs, which means that those things are going to get stored a lot easier. So if your body is focusing on clearing, you know, this quote poison out of your body, obviously it's not going, Oh, well, we also need to finish digesting these carbs and this fat and blah, 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 blah. It's going to go, Hey, we'll get to that shit later. Store that, right? It's not going to prioritize something that's not a quote poison to you. One other really important thing here is that binging after you've been drinking. So, you know, when you're hammered and it's two in the morning and you go to that one taco joint, that's always open. If you live in Reno, it's La Michoacana or what Roberto's. Roberto's. Yeah. La Michoacana or Roberto's. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're going to one of those places at two in the morning or something, when you're, you know, fucking hammered, please have a designated driver. Uh, you're going to be storing body fat much, much quicker. And that next morning, you're going to be storing body fat much, much quicker because you're still, you still have to break down that alcohol in your system. And this final one is alcohol decreases muscle protein synthesis by 37% in men who drank eight hours or in that eight hour window post exercise. So for people who don't understand that, that is essentially like how effectively is your body going to build muscle? You know, obviously we don't get a like all the, all the muscle breakdown that we create in our system does not get perfectly one-to-one rebuilt and re or, and grown to a, a higher degree, but you're seeing a 37% decrease. If you're drinking in that eight hour window, even when you're eating an optimal amount of protein. And I have a, I have a study linked for every single one of these that I'll put in um, the show notes. But um, even if you're eating an optimal amount of protein, you're still seeing a 24% decrease in muscle protein synthesis. So when you're, when you're controlling protein, you're obviously going to see more muscle growth, or at least theoretically, assuming all other factors um, are going that direction. But you're looking at up to, you know, a one in three decrease uh, if you don't control your protein and a one in four decrease, if you are drinking in that eight hour window, but making sure that you're, that you're still getting enough protein, these things all are not counting the fact of you're probably going to sleep less. The way that you sleep when you are drunk is not the same way that you sleep when you are tired, when you're sleeping, it is more akin to being, um, knocked unconscious than it is to actually sleeping. And there's there's a little bit of research on this. I, I don't have it off the top, um, but it is in the book, Why We Sleep, um, which you guys can check out. You can Google that, and it's a pretty easy book to find. Uh, there's also the amount of dehydration that you're going to get from drinking. And then overall, just your recovery is going to be impacted. Your testosterone is going to be lower. You're not going to be metabolizing um, protein, carbs, and fats as effectively. You're not going to be repairing quite as quickly. You're going to be dehydrated. So you're not going to... Um, you know, have your body shuttling different kinds of nutrients through the body as effectively. And again, you're not going to be sleeping properly. So your body cannot repair without proper rest. So that is my long winded, uh, Hey, maybe drinking isn't that useful. And that's not to say that you shouldn't drink at all. Like I personally don't, but if you get a, a, you know, some social value out of it, or, 
Um, you know, it helps you like loosen up to be more fun with friends, like, you know, go, go for it. But it's essentially just a, it's kind of a, uh, cost benefit analysis. Like if you're going, getting hammered like two or three times a week and your goal is to build a shitload of muscle, like you're, those things are kind of at odds with each other. So there's that. Thank you for that question. Mr. Glenn, did you want any more on that or is that? Okay, cool. Hell yeah. All right. I felt, I felt all right about that one. Um, gyms versus health clubs. Was this from you as well? Okay. This is a different, okay. Okay. So, okay. We talked about this. Yeah. This wasn't necessarily a question so much as just something that, um, Glenn and I were talking about when we were training one day and I was like, Oh, that's a good question. But gyms versus health clubs. So I actually started out, I grew up in a gym as a, as a child when my, um, uh, my stepdad, the guy who raised me, uh, you know, he was at what then was called, um, I believe flex fitness and, uh, it is now American iron in Reno, Nevada. Um, but super hardcore powerlifting, bodybuilding gym, really, really sick place. And, uh, my first gym job was fitness connection in Reno, Nevada. So basically a health club there is, you know, a lot of cardio equipment, a lot of different classes and, you know, a pool, a sauna, a hot tub. And these things aren't necessarily bad. There's just something about, the culture and the environment of it. So me personally, I, I prefer gyms over health clubs just purely because what is my goal? My goal is to get in and get out, maybe say Hey to a few friends uh, who have common goals to me. So, you know, building muscle, getting stronger. Um, but that's not to say that health clubs aren't nice. You know, it is fun to be able to go to a place where it is potentially a one-stop shop. If you like swimming, if you like doing yoga classes and Pilates and, you know, group X and that kind of stuff, then those, those things are useful. The reason that I personally like a gym is just because it is more in line with my actual goals. There are people who are, I mean, if you go into a health club nowadays, there's going to be people didn't put their weights back. There's going to be people sitting on a machine, texting on their phone. There's going to be all these different things. But the gym that I train at presently, Stimulus, uh, you don't see that. I mean, maybe once in a blue moon, someone leaves some weights on the bar, but you know, it's, it's very, very inconsistent. You walk in there, people are very, very clearly working toward strength or physique or whatever. Like I would say I'm honestly probably an outlier as far as trainers go there because I, I do a lot of like, um, you know, pain mitigation and, and like recovery and stuff like that. But there's, there's nothing wrong with training at a health club because those are a lot more common. You're going to find those, um, a lot easier in, you know, big cities and stuff like that, because they've got to be able to have a place that draws a large clientele to them. It's just not necessarily what I like in my time, but yeah, I know that wasn't necessarily a question from you, Glenn. It was kind of more like just something you and I were talking about, but does that kind of cover more or less like the deep thought of your conversation? Okay, cool, cool. Sick. Um, this final, oh wait, no, sorry. We got two more. Um, this one. So cheat reps, uh, (laughs) basically uh, how useful are they so for those of you who don't know what a cheat rep is that is think of let's say you're doing some you know bicep curls or something like that and you start curling and you're getting to the point where you just like cannot get it up and you know the only way you're going to get it up basically is if you lean really far back um to move that weight or you kind of swing the arms a little bit um how effective are those for building muscle so there is there's some use to them you've got to keep in mind the body to a degree likes novelty and not, not to the extent of like, you know, those like 
early 2000s Bowflex commercials were like, oh, you've got to confuse the muscle. But like there, there is value in it in the sense of your body does not like doing the same thing over and over and over and over to a degree. So sometimes doing drop sets or doing rest pause or, um, you know, adding some cheat reps to squeeze a few extra reps out. There can be value when it comes to that, but this also comes up against something called effective reps. So this was like 2005. I think I put this note down. I did not. I'll, tr- I'll, I'll try to remember to find this note. But um, in 2005, there was someone who actually studied a little bit more deeply how, you know, like what are the effective reps? And generally it looks like it's about the last five. So something, uh, something like, you know, doing a set of two, likely those are going to be two very close to failure reps. Um, so you're going to get two quality reps out of that. But if you're doing a set of like 30, let's say potentially that's 25 reps of fluff. That means only those final five are actually going to be worthwhile. Or you do something like a set of eight to 12, you know, those last five are going to be useful, but how effective are they? What it looks like is something, something like an S curve. So it's, if we're just talking about these last five reps, right? The fifth rep is going to be significantly more effective than, uh, these, you know, uh, sixth last rep, if that makes sense. Like if you still have six reps left that you can get, the sixth rep won't be that effective. The fifth one will be more effective. The fourth one will still be effective, but less than the fourth, third, more effective than the, or more still effective, but less than the fourth and so on and so on and so on until you get to the point where your very last rep, your absolute failure rep is only just so slightly more effective in the sense of how much muscle it's going to break down and help you to rebuild. There basically becomes a, dis- a diminishing point of return when it comes to reaching failure, but that is something that you can do to get more value of, or excuse me, uh, cheat reps are something that you can do to get more value out of those. Because if you're noticing, you know, I'm not really able to squeeze those last few reps out, this is a way that you can get a few more reps potentially that are going to push you over that hill into effective reps, so to speak. But one thing you have to be really careful of when it comes to cheat reps is that you are not getting progressively stronger. You're not using any kind of progressive overload. Sure. You're adding more weight. Sure. You're doing more reps, but are you just progressively cheating? Did you go from doing more reps, adding more load to the body to basically just swinging your body more and doing whatever you can to get the weight up? Because in that case, you're probably not getting anything. There's probably no value in what you're actually doing there. So if you are going to use cheat reps, that's one thing that I would caution you against. So pretty square there, Glenn. All right. I'm just going to ask you every time between questions, like, Hey, do you feel like that was good? Cause I know sometimes I, I ramble a little bit and I'll just end up all over the place. And then I'm like, did I leave anything off there? And I, I think it actually helps. Connected, so <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. Um, and this final one. So I love this question because Alex and I from episode, uh, which episode was that? Is that 23? No. I think it was, I think it was 23. Um, oh God, I'm not on Wi-Fi here. Oh, well it's Alex from Kabuki strength. Um, I'm pretty sure it was episode, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, he'll, he'll get that in a sec. Um, but we were actually talking about this, how the common belief is change a program every four to six weeks. I would say I pretty strictly adhere to that myself, but some of the most effective programs I've ever done are 12 weeks long. And the only thing that changes slightly is the reps and sets and the intensity. You have that answer? Episode 21. Okay. 
So the only thing that actually changes is the reps, the sets, the intensity, right? It's not, it's not me doing all brand new exercises. It's not me, um, you know, cutting down my rest times. It's, it's none of that stuff. It is just simply changing the reps a little bit, changing the intensity a little bit and progressively seeing myself get stronger, right? There are, there is some value in repeating programs over a long period of time because what ends up happening is your body starts to understand that more. So you start being able to do that movement more effectively. You start being able to lift more weight, um, whatever it may be, you, you end up seeing progression there because it's, it's the same way. Like it's the same way that we do anything. You know, the first time that you do something, you're going to be really messy at it. The next time you do it, you might be a little better. And the next time you do it, you're probably going to be a little bit better. But if you are, I suppose a better way to answer this question is the program that you're doing right now. Um, oh, I actually did write, um, write this person's name down. This is Allie. Um, so Allie, um, this program that you're doing right now, are you still getting stronger? Then keep doing it. Are you still improving your physique? Then keep doing it. There's no reason to fix what ain't broken. I've had clients do the same program for, you know, eight weeks before. That's what Alex and I were talking about is he's had Kitty doing the same program for, I think he said several months. And she is, she is the strongest pound for pound. She's the strongest woman I've ever met. Um, and is probably one of the strongest women in the world pound for pound. Um, but you don't need to change it. If you're still seeing progress, you can redo a program over and over and over and over. And then it is only when you stop progressing, maybe it's time to switch it. Or maybe it's time to make sure, Hey, are you actually eating enough? You know, are you actually sleeping enough? Are you, do you have your rest and recovery, um, considered with these kinds of things, but yeah. Do you need to change your program every, you know, three or four to six weeks? Nah, not necessarily. Just change it when you stop progressing, change it when you hit a wall or yeah. I'm going to send this clip to my clients because I have a few of them that have actually asked me this where they're like, like, why isn't the program changed? I'm like, you're still getting better. Like, why would we change this? Yeah. Anyway. All right. Does, does that feel like that covered it? No, that feels great. Okay. Yes. Yep. Beautiful. All righty, guys. Well, I guess that is that for today then. So until next time, guys, my name is Andrew with Pride. We'll see you all later. Bye.